It comes back to understanding your business, but it's it, it's kind of having one eye on exit. What are the things that are going to make our business more attractive than someone else in this sector? And identifying those six, eight, ten things, whatever it is, and then you really, really work hard on those and build the story. Because ultimately, these businesses move and change hands on stories, and you know the credibility of your storytelling and the evidence you you can you know, bring to bear to support it is immensely important. Hello everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Pep Talks podcast. I'm your producer, Richard Ayliff. In this episode, we make a return to our discussions with CEOs, having completed our series of talking to executive directors. We speak to Andrew Howe, former CEO of Bridge Leisure, which he founded in 2008 and subsequently took through three successful transactions. We discuss Andrew's exit journey with Bridge Leisure, including taking a business you have started from scratch into PE ownership, orchestrating a successful off-market PE deal and completing a PE back trade sale. We also discuss running a successful acquisition programme whilst maintaining culture, how the business reacted to Brexit and Covid and what Andrew has learned in his career that he will now be taking into his new role as chair. Now over to Sam and Andrew. Right, we're back uh, with this episode of uh, Map of the Maze with uh, a CEO. So we've just completed a, a series of episodes talking to executive directors. Um, hopefully our, our listeners, subscribers have enjoyed that. And today we're back with a CEO. Uh, his name is Andrew Howe. Uh, he was CEO of Bridge Leisure. Uh, he's a, a member in Pep Talks, one of our very early uh, members back in the day in 2019. Um, and now a founding member, having having really uh, been through two transactions uh, with Bridge, a business he set up. So it's great to have you with us, Andrew. Thanks, Sam. Good to be here. So, um, yeah, just tell tell the listeners a little bit uh, about Bridge Leisure initially, just to, just to give them a context of the sort of sector you were in and the type of business you were in. Okay, so Bridge Leisure was uh, predominantly an owner and operator of UK holiday parks. Uh, so we, we had a buy and build strategy. We started with nothing. Uh, and over the course of 11 years, got up to nine parks uh, through two private equity cycles and ultimately a trade exit. Okay. And what was your background before doing that? So you're an entrepreneur, really. You, you had an idea and thought, right, let's, let's, let's go and do something and create something. But we, did you come from an entrepreneurial stock or was this not really no, i'd love to say yes um uh, no, both my parents worked for the inland revenue which i think is the precise opposite yeah. of entrepreneurial um so and and i was a solicitor originally i started off as a, you know i did a law degree and uh, was a practicing solicitor and um wasn't something i particularly enjoyed and realized quickly i wanted to get out and do things rather than handing bits of paper to other people who were doing exciting things i wanted to be on that side of the table so through a series of sort of odd iterations of my career uh, through you know uh, debt finance business that I had and other bits and pieces I ended up running a holiday park which was uh, had been a client of mine when I was a lawyer and uh, this particular holiday park rejoiced in the unlikely name of Sandy Balls Holiday Centre yeah. and uh, it's uh, a big one isn't it it's, down, it's, it's, it's a great it? park terrific park and now owned by uh, one of our uh, what was one of our competitors away resorts another you know PE back buy and build uh, mm. business and mm. uh, when I was running it, it was family owned and they had been slowly sort of wrecking the business by arguing with each other and, and worked out it might not be a bad idea to get someone from the outside to run it. And um, uh, I, I applied, not expecting to get the job, to be honest. It was, it was a, I just sold a business I had and I thought, well, I'll, I'll, I'll apply. And I, I, if I'm really honest, the only reason I got that job was that I was less frightening than somebody they didn't know. <laughs> really? Yeah. And uh, I, I think it's, it's not ideal, chance. is it? A sort of lawyer to come and run no, a no, holiday no, park. Not right? at all. And, uh, and uh, you know, I, 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 it was one of those little bits of luck uh, that can come your way in life. And I ended up with this role that, uh, A, I really enjoyed, and B, I turned out to be pretty good at. And, um, you know, and it was, you know, one of the things I've learned along the way is, is really understanding what the business is about. And, and I think that very sort of emotional approach to a, you know, B2C business was, was the sort of, you know, the cornerstone of everything I've done since. So, uh, you know, I was there for a long time, couldn't persuade them to 
sell the business or, or buy something else. So I sort of did as much as I could and then got fed up and went off to joined a gaming company, a uh, big, big gaming company, PLC, and uh, as uh, operations director running 200 adult gaming centres across the UK. Which so was a slot machine. So they slot machine, pretty... Um, yeah, pretty, pretty emotion-sapping <laughs> yeah. business. Absolutely fascinating from an academic, academic point of view. And I learned such a lot about you know, multi-site operation and, and the demands of a, a listed business. Um, so it was a fantastic opportunity, and I, I really did enjoy it. Um, but it underneath it all was a business that you know I, I couldn't really love. Uh, uh, and uh, uh, happily, that was that was sold um, about a year and a half after I started, and that that went from PLC back into private ownership. Uh, and uh, uh, we all uh, got our marching orders and uh, and our share value. So we were quite happy with that. And, yeah. uh, uh, but, you know, that was the first time I got made redundant. Second time I got made redundant was from Park Resorts, so back into the holiday park sector. But I, I was brought in to try and broaden uh, their market appeal um, when uh, a new uh, management team was brought in by GI Partners. So this was a transaction that happened in 19, uh, 2006, I think, yeah. two, uh, six, seven, at, at a preposterous multiple and, you know, really quite scarily levered. And uh, so I was brought in, brought in as development director. And uh, in 2008, there was no money and therefore no development. And they, uh, they thanked me for my brief services and let me go. Uh, so I got made redundant again. So it's, uh, yeah, second time in two years. And I think that was the... That was the kick I needed to get off my backside and do something myself. Yeah. So that, that's when that's when Bridge initially started, 2008. So uh, you had the idea for Bridge? Were you on your own or did you have founders and colleagues uh, with you? On my own. Uh, and, and initially uh, focused not on necessarily acquiring parks, but uh, providing sort of experience management and consultancy advice to uh, parks that were owned by other people. Yeah, uh, it was a time of recession, so we picked up work from private equity and banks who were worried about assets, mm -hmm. uh, and some families, and got some longer-term management contracts. And it was a real sort of feast and famine thing. And I, I built a team. Um, and, you know, as we got as we got bigger, I, I bought a business, uh, Colliers Leisure Management, part of the Colliers property uh, business. I, I bought that for a pound, and uh, so that that got me my first uh, sort of full-time colleague, Simon, uh, and. Uh, and one contract to run a park. So, you know, we're sort of on our way then. And, and it, it was two years of incredible stress, to be honest, because we, we just kept going, kept going, trying to, you know, get more consultancy and management work, but, and at the same time, build relationships with private equity in the hope that someone would support us in acquiring parts of our own. And mm -hmm. uh, Simon and I regularly had the conversation, which is, yeah, okay, we'll, we'll do one more month and then we're gonna, we're gonna have to stop before really? we run out of money. And, right. you know, it's just, this is 2008, 9, 10, so it's pretty, pretty tough. Yeah. Credit crunch time. Yeah, it was difficult. 2009, we uh, we uh, put in a bid to buy a park called Tatchell Lakes. Um, uh, we got support from Kings Park Capital, and uh, that business was uh, Tatchell Lakes was in administration, so we weren't able to get exclusivity on it. We were two days off completing. We thought when it was sold to someone else, and so that that was pretty crushing. And uh, so we, I had a team, I had bank, I had private equity, and all I lacked was an asset. But happily, we then. We then found another one, but I've, I kind of leap, leapfrogged to talking about KPC probably a bit too early. No, no, it's good. I mean, that's that's. So you you, you found a a backer that was keen to get in with you and um, support your your growth plan, but it was very much a sort of early early stage. Uh, yeah, it was, and um, an attractive sector. But, it's know. a good sector. I mean, it's yeah, you know, private equity's always liked it. You know, it's asset backed. There's there's significant barriers to entry. You know, it's, yeah. it's multi revenue channel. It has some flexibility. It's fairly you know recession robust and resilient. So you know, there are there are lots of good things about it. And KPC were um, was that their first fund? It was KPC. their first. And fund. They, maybe they, their third investment. I think. Came out. Was it Wahlbergs or UBS? Or UBS. UBS, yeah. and uh, they did a, The founders were very active weren't they in the leisure market they they knew the market really well and uh the money for kpc certainly for fund one was all from high net worths in the leisure sector so it's all chief execs and chairs of leisure oh, right. businesses right. so it was a fantastic network and the, uh, you know the, the the sort of dream behind it was that you invest in leisure businesses and bring to bear all of the expertise within the investment community mm -hmm. uh, and uh, you know and you produce magic returns and uh, you know they, we, we definitely benefited from some of that that expertise and we had access to things that a business of our size would never have seen otherwise so uh, right so they were perfect yeah. partner really they were a great partner stage. really fantastic actually and, and you know the 
we spoke to a lot of people. They all loved the sector. They liked us. But you know, we were looking at businesses. You know, we, we didn't have an existing business. So we were looking at a startup acquisition effectively. So you know, probably a single park or a couple of parks. And that, that's just too small for a lot, a lot of people. And you've got no you know, really sort of empirical trading history to look at. So it was a bit uphill. And hence, you know, it took us a couple of years. But in the end, we... We found a park, you know, we had the team and uh, it still took nine months to complete the transaction, which was pretty, pretty brutal. Uh, but we bought out and in fact, we ended up buying our second park before our first park, which sounds ridiculous. But um, you know, we, we agreed the deal five months later, but actually completed it three weeks before. So um, uh -huh. and we went from so we went from two years of, you know, working really hard, but wondering where, you know, the next sort of uh, paycheck was coming from. Uh, we went to buying two parts within uh, about six weeks and then three weeks later we got the job to run Pontins when it went into administration. So mm. it went from, you know, Nothing supply to, to completely insane and uh, yeah, and then just carried on really. So, so yeah. Good. So what sort of size did you get to by the, um, the end of that sort of first chapter with Kings Park Council, sort of revenues and how many parks did you have? We we had uh, we built up three parks uh, and uh, we we sold for uh, thirty six million was was the price tag. So we'd gone from you know zero to thirty six million, which wasn't bad. Uh, we, we were quite happy with that, and um, you know we delivered just over two and a half times money on uh, uh, KPCs. Did you have a shape to the business by then? Did you have like sort of firm? Um, professional disciplines in the business of marketing sales operations or was it still very entrepreneurial it was it was emerging but still pretty entrepreneurial i mean there's basically to start with there were there were three of us um uh, and you know we, we did everything uh, pretty much and uh, so it was quite an entrepreneurial business and i think one of the things that we you know with the benefit of hindsight we might have done better was to was to shrug off the sort of frugality of our start a bit earlier mm. uh, and, to, and to spend money a bit more quickly. I think we were a little bit slow at times to... That is the entrepreneurs sort of, you have to look after your look after cash the pennies. and yeah. the pennies and <laughs> you've got to get the revenues to a certain level before you feel really comfortable spending. But it's an interesting I think you're right. And, you know, and, and even now that's probably something that stays with me. You know, there, there was such sort of fragility in our business for the first couple of years and we were so afraid of losing it that I think, you know, that does sort of get under your skin a bit. And But we may, you know, we should have got an office earlier than we did because I think we all suffered a bit working at home and, you know, meeting yeah. in motorway service stations and uh, uh, we... Probably should have got some admin support earlier than we did because you know it's a bit ridiculous that you know the three main directors doing their own photocopying all the time and whatever it might be. But yeah, so I, I think you know there were just some things we should have we should have addressed a bit more quickly. But the, but those disciplines you talked about the structure and getting the skills into the business. Yeah, we 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 were always quite good at bringing good people in. Mm -hmm. um, we seemed to have a culture mm -hmm. that people wanted to join. Uh, it was different to the traditional larger players in the sector. Uh, and we happen to be based, in, you know, in the area where most of them are. So we, we quickly sort of found one or two good ones, and then we were able to, you know, grab people. How did you differentiate yourself as, a, as an employer? Well, just much more inclusive. Much. Uh, we were small enough to know whether people were any good. So I, I didn't much care whether people were working between nine a.m. and five p.m. or nine o'clock at night. It didn't matter to me. Uh, what I wanted was good people. And and you know, when the business started off with a you know, total central staff of five or six, you know, someone wasn't pulling their weight. It was pretty six, apparent. Right. So we, we didn't need to be prescriptive and, you know, limiting on how people worked. We just wanted good people. So, you know, we tried to we encourage people who, you know, might have found it difficult difficult to work for a, a more rigid employer. So, you know, those with you know, wanted to be involved in, you know, taking the kids to school or whatever it might be. Mm. Um, we were very keen to accommodate them because we just wanted good people in the business. Mm. And I think, you know, although bits of the business evolved over time, the, the sort of central culture of it was well established right from the beginning. And, and one of the things that, you know, I've always been very clear about was there was absolutely nothing that we sold anywhere in the business that could be consumed for anything other than emotional drivers. Uh, and, and, and having that as a real sort of central focus to the business was really good. And it tended to, it meant we attracted people who, who had some enthusiasm for that, you know, just that, that understood that. Um, you know, you, no one's sitting at home with a spreadsheet working out whether to go on holiday. People go on holiday because they think it will save their marriage or make them a better dad or, you know, whatever. It's, you know, th those are the drivers. And, and approaching everything we did with that in mind, I think, was important. And it, it, it was quite evident in the business. And I, I think that helped us to attract people who were, you know, sympathetic, empathetic towards that. And uh, uh, they felt like they're in the right place and we got great work out of them. Mm. Did that did that continue as you grew and you sort of 
became a much bigger operation. It did. It wasn't always easy, and and it's interesting. I think I think you know being in a B two C business, I think adds adds a layer of complexity when you're in a private equity environment. Certainly, once we got into Phoenix, which was you know a, a you know classic sort of mid market uh, multi sector uh, private equity house, I think they they sometimes found that harder. Our sort of Focus on on that um, because you can't reduce it down. You can't you can't analyze it. You can't you know uh, manipulate it through Excel. It's mm. um, uh, and, and that was difficult. And it was a conversation we had you know not infrequently uh, uh, at, at the board. Um, but they were you know respectful of what we did, and and the results were were generally pretty good. So uh, mm. it was okay. But it was it did get harder. Uh, and and I think as the you know as the founder, as I got further away from. Parks bit of the business, uh, I found it harder to really imprint it uh, on the business. But I, I think we did a pretty good job. We, we we made a lot of effort to speak to as many people as possible in the business. Um, and it was another one of those realities. You know, I've been a, I'm a great fan of, so what, what, what is the reality of this business? Well, the reality of Bridge was that the, the actual business was conducted in the main by people who were, you know, potentially being paid minimum wage, working pretty hard hours, you know, doing jobs that a lot of people wouldn't want to do at times that other people are having fun. So, mm. you know, we had to understand that. Um, so the people who have the greatest contact with our guests were the maintenance guys and the cleaners and the reception team. So getting them excited was much more important than getting my you know, my CFO excited. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he needs to do the These numbers. These are the people but... who are going to deliver the service absolutely. at the end of the day. Yeah, and, and their understanding about what they're doing was absolutely critical to the business. So, I, you know, I, part of what I did was to speak to everybody in the business every year about that and what they did and mm. try to help them recognise the importance and the power and the responsibility that they carried in this business, which is which is different to you know, roles they might have had elsewhere. So, for example, you know, um, housekeepers, you know, cleaners in our business, incredibly important. Um, you know, probably among the most powerful in the business, but they would never consider themselves like that. You say, well, I'm a cleaner. But, so I'd say, well, you know, yeah, maybe, but aren't you also, you know, head of first impressions? You know, yeah. you, you absolutely own, have total control and power over whether, you know, when somebody opens the door, that's a great experience or an absolute you yeah. know, disaster that we're never going to recover from. That's you. That's entirely in your hands. So most people, I found, were quite... Uh, energized and uh, uh, you know uplifted by recognizing you know the, the power that they had and, and chose to use it well. So, what was that first exit experience like for you? Um, you know, a completely new experience, something that you hadn't done before. So, you're taking a business that you started from scratch and taking it out to the market and seeing who loves your baby. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was. I, I was very keen to avoid a process, uh, and we, we managed to do that. Um, you know, I, we, we we were always perhaps a little bit lean in terms of uh, you know the at, at an exec level, um, and we had done well at building relationships. Uh, you know, o- over the years. so it was an off market deal. You did an off market deal. Right. Um, we had two or three people we built really good relationships with. Uh, and we got to a point where we we recognised that we 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 were, we were getting to the limits of what KPC could do for us in terms of uh, funding, uh, and we didn't want to stop the acquisition machine. Uh, so um, I, I stepped that up, and we, we we built some good relationships, and we we put together what we thought was a good pack of information about you know what we did and what made us special, uh, and and we we presented that to uh, three different funds uh one didn't really bite two got interested uh, uh and one of them did something about it so it's um we were really lucky i think uh well perhaps it's not just luck but it's uh so it's an off-market transaction and you know uh you, you, look- think you would have got a bigger a bigger price had you done it on market or were you uh, just like we just want to find the right partner who backs backs us has got the funding to support it's, us to do what we want to do. It's possible. Uh, I, I think, you know, had, had we got a bit of competitive tension into that process, maybe we would have bid the price up a bit harder, but, you know, the, the fees and the time would have undone any good that that had yeah. achieved, I think. And that um, wouldn't have necessarily been great for you, would it? Because I guess you're, you're selling, but also rolling over. And and that's, that's a, you know, it's one of the most demanding times in these businesses, isn't it? You know, and it, that, that that discipline, you know, I, I, I was Kings Park Capitals until I was Phoenix's. Uh, yeah. And, and, and that, that's very hard, sitting on both sides of the fence. And it's, you know, it's an, it's an incredibly challenging part of what we do. Um, no one should underestimate it. You know, it, it's absolutely gruelling. Um, you know, just the the weight of the due diligence and the you know the challenge of the the acquisition on all the documentation, the bizarre nature of being wooed and you know and, and 
finding there's a deal and then spending you know a couple of months with them trying to prove that your business is awful is, is a really really strange emotional sort of roller coaster. Yeah. so it is one of the most exhausting things i've ever done um seven days a week oh absolutely yeah yeah and uh, yeah it's intense really intense um uh so it was hard. Yes, yeah, is the, the honest. I can't really sort of put yeah. it any any more gently than that. And it, it, as with most of this, you know, at our time with KPC, we we went from knowing nothing about private equity to learning all the time. And, yeah. You know, uh, uh, an exit wouldn't phase me now because I know what's coming, but it would still be hard because it's it's yeah. just hard. You don't get away from the <clears throat> the work that's involved, do you? You might know the process a bit better. But, um, so off you go with Phoenix. And did you? Did you manage to have a rest or were you straight, you know, hitting the ground running from, from day one and going again? I, uh, a couple of sort of short holidays, but yeah. And, and you know, that that's one of the, the real sort of challenges. I, I liken it to having having a baby because, you know, there's all the excitement. <laughs> yeah. And I've just done it again with this new venture. You know, there's all the excitement of this thing coming. It's all going to happen. The deal's going to go through. And, and they go through. Oh, crikey, we've actually got to look after this yeah. now and do a good job. And, uh, and it's very much so. So, yeah, the Phoenix deal was hugely exciting. It took a long time, all sorts of little hiccups. I was desperately trying to keep an acquisition bubbling along at the same time. Couldn't possibly tell the the, the guy who was selling the park, who's probably one of our more colourful sellers uh, and uh, a most unusual character uh, and quite a hothead. Uh, and you know, keeping him going for you know what turned out to be about four months while we were trying to get the the bigger deal over the line was was really difficult. So there was there was no real rest, and uh, uh, yeah, it was. I think actually it, it probably damaged the three of us, the main directors, a little bit mm. for a while. I think we were a bit, we were a bit burnt out for a while, but you know you catch up. Yeah, I mean it's quite an interesting point that in, in your acquisitions, did the did the owners exit sort of stage left, or did you, did they have to do some? Some of them have to do some earnouts, and did you bring well, some yeah. of their talent in? And- uh, I think in the end, all of them just left. But it's you know in in the sector that we're in. Um, I, you know, I couldn't say that we had a straightforward deal at any point. You know, we, we bought parts from husbands and wives who wouldn't talk to each other, from families who wouldn't all be in the same room, uh, from uh, traveller community, from um, uh, out and out completely compulsive liar, and you know, all of these transactions were, uh, one way or another, pretty interesting. Uh, and. What you learn quite quickly is that that some of the more straightforward ones also come with a lot of emotional challenge. So these are businesses that people might have built up for 10, 20, 30 years or might have been the family for a long time. And there's a real emotional hurdle to get through to, to get them to you know, to market and to get the, the deal over the line. So during the course of the transactions, we explored all sorts of things about people staying involved as consultants or perhaps even taking some loan note or having an ongoing equity interest and all sorts of things. And always, when you get to the point where you're about to pay the check, they say, oh, actually, I'll, I'll just have the money, thanks. And, and off they go. And yeah. in terms of the talent, um, it varied from acquisition to acquisition. But, you know, we were smart enough to know that we knew plenty about holiday parts, but it takes a long time to, long time to, to learn about an individual part. So we would always seek to keep uh, the people we acquired with the business. And it's it's always an, an odd part of what we did. You know, you go in on day one, everybody expects you to sack them and bring in a busload of people that you've magic from somewhere. Suits. Yeah, yeah. And, and we're all terrified they're going to walk out. So it's, um, you know, it's a really odd thing. So, you know, that was you know, my job on on the, the day we completed every acquisition was to get in there and get everybody and talk to them. So, that, you know, you're okay, we want you, you know, the previous people who were in the park needed you. So do we, you know, that's no difference. So. Mm. Uh, and we got some great people into the business uh, through that. Did you develop a process to sort of helping uh, or accelerating the way these acquisitions could then fly post completion? Yeah, I the whole sort of integration and uh, and drive of the acquisitions we got better at all the time. You know, you, you get to know exactly where the sticking points are going to be, which bits you you're a bit patient with, which bits you say, well, that's all very interesting, but we're doing this. Uh, so yeah, we're, uh, we we got pretty good at the integration. Uh, and yeah, quite. What would you do? How would you go about? I mean, if if we've got listeners out there, sort of not necessarily, some of them might be in the same space, and some of them might be in sort of parallel leisure universes. You know, um, when you're buying businesses like that uh, and bolting them together, I mean, what would you? How would you show up and turn up to look to, you know, improve the business that you've just bought to generate? I don't know whether it's generate more income or. Um, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's uh, for us. Uh, it, it varied from part to part because. Um, 
yeah, some of the parts we bought were completely holiday, uh, as in all, all rentals, and others were all owner. Uh, and we would always be looking to balance them so that you, you get you benefit from that flexible operating model. And they tend to be a, a bit counter cyclical, those two parts of the business. So it's good good to have a mix. So the precise sort of strategy would vary from, from place to place. But you'd identify through due diligence, due diligence where, you know, the opportunities were, um, you know, the, the key ones. So there's all sorts of... Um, smaller opportunities around businesses like that in terms of you know retail and that sort of thing yeah it was you know so with with the holidays you know are we are we selling those right we're not overly reliant on third parties who are taking fat commissions and you know we would change that kind of thing pretty quickly and you know get our engine working introduce our crm systems um you know develop the website so that you know our shop window was looking pretty good uh try and get some uh, really good activity going in terms of sales you know Lots of parks, you know, take sort of slightly lazier approaches to this. You know, people make quite good money out of holiday parks and there's a lot of businesses out there where these sort of family owned and run uh, parks are, you know, they're great businesses. People are making nice profits. They go skiing for a few weeks in the winter. They've got a place in Barbados and, you know, they they don't have to work too hard. So working out where we could squeeze uh, was something we were generally able to do during the course of acquiring so we could we could hit the ground running and mm-hmm. we had a good team of people who knew how to do that uh, what what was the what was it like working with a new investor was uh did the, and they have a they have a all of you had a higher expectation for the business now didn't you? i mean that's what the, you, it, it was very different um we 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 grew as we as we got better at what we did um we we developed a very good relationship with king's park capital and they, they were very willing to sort of get involved really you know not in running the business but they were very into the detail and and uh, and we you know it was all we knew so we assumed it'd be the same with phoenix and they were much more a much more sort of distant partner um so it was very different um but very focused and 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 we learned as much with them as we did with kpc and you know i'm really grateful for having had two quite different private equity experiences and Mm. you know i think it's 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 broadened my it's interesting, isn't it? You sort of think, well, it must be the same. You know, it's the source of money and the way they raise their money and deploy the money is more or less the same. But actually, it's the house style can be completely different. Really interesting. And, uh, you know, we, we had quite a, you know, a good relationship with them. And in fact, our, uh, I probably should admit this, but our, our first um, board pack that we did for Phoenix contained a joke, which was not unusual for us. And uh, at our first uh, Phoenix board meeting, uh, we sort of got to that point and... Uh, one of the investment directors said, uh, we spotted the joke. And uh, that's really not the way we do things. <laughs> and there's this sort of horrible silence and we, did, we didn't pay any more jokes in the ball pack. So fair enough. Yeah. yeah. It, was, it was very different. Uh, but, you know, uh, uh, really good people. And um, it was, we learned more about the, probably the analytical side of the business. So I mentioned earlier, there was that slight challenge that, you know, bits of our business can't be reduced to analysis, but huge parts of it can. Uh, and and we certainly developed that side of thing. You know the the, our, our, the depth and quality of our reporting and the speed with which it was produced and and the use of it to make really good decisions all improved with Phoenix's guidance. They, yeah, you know, they're, they're they're good guys. And uh, what really impressed me with them was um, they were sensible when times were difficult. Um, so you did you 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 went on and made six more acquisitions. Business was flying flying high, it was doing everything it should have yep. done. And then you had a sort of first challenge in the road, a hiccup pothole, which was Brexit, right? Yeah. So we yeah, yeah, I mean you, you put it well, we were we were looking exactly like we hoped to look. We'd done our acquisition every year, growing nicely, all the parts progressing well, you know, on on all of our targets and and, and looking good for our next exit, um, which we thought would be sort of back end of twenty nineteen, early twenty twenty. Uh, and Brexit came along and, you know, it's, I, we didn't feel it would particularly affect us. Um, we weren't heavily reliant on any sort of, you know, European imports or anything like that, uh, uh, or labour. Um, uh, but what it really did was that that sense of uh, uncertainty really impacted people's willingness to uh, undertake big ticket discretionary spend. Yeah. And How much of the business was revenue wise was... It's certainly the, the the biggest revenue and profit center for us is always the sale of of caravan Cam- holiday homes. Yeah. That's people you know buying their own caravan that they then you know station at our, one of our parks and yeah. use possibly sublet through us, but you know in the main use for their own holiday use, friends and family, whatever. 
And, uh, you know, that that's something that nobody really needs and they're expensive. Uh, you know, you can pay anything between, you know, potentially, I suppose, as low as sort of, you know, 15,000 up to, you know, 300,000 for a holiday home. And it, it was, you know, on top of it, so they're big ticket and discretionary. Uh, and on top of that, half of our sales would come from part exchange. So it's big ticket, discretionary, and you've already got one. Uh, and, and nobody knew what was around the corner. So it really dried up. And, and, and that was that was really difficult for us. So we, we just... We just went off the numbers and that, you know, the, a big part, you know, uh, uh, sure most of the people in Pep Talks will understand the importance of your story, you know, and your story's really got to stack up. And, mm. and if your graphs, graphs show growth, growth, growth dip, you've got a problem when you, when you come to exit. So it, it, was a, it was a real issue for us as a business in that, you know, we, we, we weren't sure what to do. And we figured actually we're going to have to dig in and keep going. And, and that, you know, was fine. And in, in we were sort of coming out of that. We'd found ways to, you know, change the business to improve things. Uh, uh, How did you do that? I mean, just working harder and smarter, really. You, know, you sell more holidays instead of... We, we, we would, you know, one, one of the beauties of um, uh, the holiday park model is that you can flex to a degree. It's mm. harder to flex from sales to holidays because once a unit is sold, it's sold. But, you know, we had big holiday fleets and, and we, we could let some of those go um, to to sales to new owners. The new owner sales are fun. It was, it was really the part exchange that was really, really difficult. Um, uh, and, you know, other places we'd go the other way, if there's strong holiday demand down in Cornwall, we could increase our fleets quite significantly. And, you know, we, we, we did all right with that. And, you know, even more so once, uh, obviously, the next hiccup in the shape of COVID came along. But, mm. um, so, yeah, that, that that flexibility is is... Uh, is a is a great part of the sector. How long did that period last? The sort of Brexit downturn for you. Were you just coming out of that as we were? As, as we came into twenty twenty, uh, we were looking really good. So sales were, were so back on. Back. Our forward bookings were were massively better than we'd ever done before. You know that there was a constant evolution uh, for us in terms of you know CRM uh, and the, the automation of all of that dynamic pricing. We were constantly evolving the way we did the holidays, and it's you know it's a really exciting part of the business. It's you know it's a super emotional purchase, uh, and you know the way we were communicating was getting better and better. Uh, and we were really going for strength to strength. So we, we went into 2020 in, in probably the best shape we'd ever been in and feeling very confident about, you know, a process mm. during that, that year. And we all know what happened in 2020. Yeah, then there was a thing. Uh, a horrible <laughs> which, thing. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and that was just extraordinary. I mean, we had we had board meeting in the February, which I think was when things were starting to kick off and, we were due to have our annual conference and that was trying to get, you know, if we could have got everyone in the business into one place, we would have done it. It was never possible to get everyone, but we would have got a couple of hundred people from our business. You know, we, we, we employed up to about 450 people in peak. But so in fact, we'd try and get a couple of hundred people in one, and we'd celebrate success and yeah. awards and all that kind of thing. Um, and I went to the board and said, you know, I'm, you know you're going to think I'm overreacting, but I wonder whether we need to, cancel this i thought you know there's a risk if we you know we'll go to this hotel and the next week somebody yeah. there is positive then we're all gonna have to quarantine it was mm. you know none of us quite knew what was happening but um and i remember the conversation around the board table it went off for you know it was a relatively small matter it went off for you know best part of half an hour and and we went from thinking you know i think i'm being a bit silly to all of us thinking yeah actually we're probably right we should cancel we cancelled it and within days that looked like the smartest decision I'd ever made and mm -hmm. um, yeah it was it was an extraordinary time and but you, I mean I suppose uh, the business was completely shut really in that first totally. lockdown yeah so I we mean, went and we went, went from lots of good revenue to zero revenue very quickly yeah uh, so we, yeah we, we had um, changes on an almost daily basis so there was that that sort of slightly progressive uh, movement towards shutdown where you know, said you could be open but you couldn't serve food and you know it just it, and you're desperately trying to keep on top of all the changing regulations and then it was almost uh, a blessing when it was shut because then you thought right okay we're a completely different set of problems but we, you know, we at least we know where we are mm. and it was exactly as you said we went from all sorts of different revenues to zero uh, and uh, most of our costs continued quite happily so you know we, we still had a, you know, a large number of staff uh, we we had done uh, ground rent transactions on some of our parts who were paying rent and you know we had a, a typical private equity uh, debt structure so there was you know, go no capital and interest payments to be met and uh, it was um, really quite frightening you know and uh, it, you could see that you know it would take not a lot of time at all you know but if there's zero coming in and plenty going out it doesn't take long before you're in all sorts of trouble and um, I have to say what you know what was there were lots of good things that came out of the pandemic, perhaps. Um, 
about the way people conducted themselves. Phoenix were, I thought, were absolutely brilliant. Uh, our bank were really se sensible. You know, even our landlords were quite sensible. And you know, we were very proactive. You know, we we quickly sort of stepped in to what, what we coined as freeze drying the business. We we wanted to just stop it dead. And mm. um, and we we furloughed just under three hundred people. Uh, we uh, had uh, a team of about twenty running the business. Uh, that's including the parks, nine parks. Um, it flexed a little bit, um, but we we really we cut hard and deep. You know, we didn't we didn't let anybody go. We were very clear right from the beginning. We weren't going to let anybody go, and we we wanted to uh, you know look after our people. We knew we needed to look after our customers. Uh, you know, what, what, one of the smart things I think when these sort of things happen is to is to is to realise that when it's all over and it will be over, you still got to have people who want to work with you, people who want to buy from you. And uh, so we were dealing with people who, uh, you know, had their holidays cancelled. And it, it, now it seems, well, of course they were cancelled, we but at the time people were horrified and, yeah, they, and very shouty and yeah. extremely upset and abusive. And there was all sorts of stuff on TV about whether you should be you know, refunding cash. And, yeah. you know, we had to fight hard to... Um, to not do that, you know, we couldn't afford to hemorrhage out, you know, several hundred thousand pounds worth of holiday deposits. So it was, it was really brutal, um, but a magnificent effort from the team who, you know, were really tight little team, obviously all working separately and on mm -hmm. teams, which, you know, then still seemed like quite a new thing that uh, is now how we spend most of our lives. Um, it was tremendous. Yeah, I'm, I'm even now, I'm, in, I'm incredibly proud of, of, of what we achieved. Um, you managed to keep it all together, which, you know, you, you could have made some, um, disastrous decisions, but you made a series of good decisions which kept the business together. But then, um, after that, as the sort of first lockdown came to an end, things changed again, sort of completely, didn't they? They did, and uh, for us, they changed quite a lot. So we we we'd had uh, we'd had one slowdown with Brexit, so that put us behind our numbers, um, and we were in our. Uh, what our fifth year with Phoenix, so you know you get into the point. There's that. There's Knocking that classic. The yeah. It's the private equity trap, isn't it? Where mm -hmm. the, where the loan note interest is is then increasing. At, you know, with it all being compounded, it, it, it's increasing at such a rate that it's starting to eat into the equity. And you know, then you turn off the revenue tap, and you know, you think actually, you know, we're, we're never going to make anything out of this. And um, uh, and we were definitely getting towards that situation. And Phoenix, to their great credit, um, you know, were, were eager to sort that out. So we had a bit of a rebasing. There was, you know, uh, some adjustments, and uh, in the end, that worked brilliantly. But you know, that that takes a bit of creativity and uh, I think you know skill on the part of the PE guys to, yeah. to to work that out. But it was it was it was uh, a very good thing. And in the end, you know, they came out of it really well, and so did we. But well, the business took off so quickly, didn't it? So you went from nothing to amazing. the phones yeah. ringing off the hook. We kind of knew that the holidays were going to be brilliant because you know yeah. people, people couldn't go abroad, so we, we kind of had them. Uh, uh, we were fairly sensible with our prices. You know, we 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 you know we did move a bit towards demand, but we had a lot of you know, historical bookings where we had to uh, honour the prices. But um, yeah, we didn't look to fleece our customers because there's no point in doing that; we'd never see them again. Uh, so we we knew the holidays were going to be good. What we hadn't anticipated was the incredible appetite for sales. So you know we were back to way before the kind of appetite we had before the Brexit slowdown. And mm. um, people wanted, I think, control over their holiday destinations and, and their, their free time, which you know, most of us lost at least one holiday during uh, lockdown. And that's yeah, yeah. a pr pretty unpleasant experience. So uh, we were all scrambling to yeah. look for other options. So we? It was, we went from, you know, zero to hero almost immediately. It was incredible. And then, you know, this odd situation where we were open, we were shut and you're a little bit open and you yeah. can do this, but you couldn't do that. And, and so it went on. And uh, it was it was just tiring. Um, but that was, and that was a good 18 months, I guess, like that yeah. year, 18 months. But then, you know, you're, you're, you just rebounded completely in terms of um, sales and EBITDA and... Amazing. I mean, yeah, it, re it really bounced back. And yeah, we, we, we went into 2021 again, you know, looking pretty good. And, you know, there were still some shutdowns and lockdowns. Mm. And, but, um, you know, I think we'd all learned a lot. We weren't phased by it. We could, we could switch it on and off quite easily, knew the processes. Mm. And um, uh, so, so from looking like a sort of disastrous situation from sort of February, March 2020, probably all the way through until um, probably had a, a period of, 2020 summer, which was probably good, then shut again, 20, late 2020, 2021, and then a real rebound through 21. Yeah. But then 2022, I guess the someone came knocking, didn't they? Well, no, it was 2021 they came knocking. 2021, so it was last sorry. year. So, so it was, um, 
So, yeah, I mean, you're right. Through 2020, most peculiar up, down, shut, open, and, and a tremendous uh, rebound, then a, a winter shutdown. Uh, but all through the winter shutdown, we were selling really well. Uh, and, and, you know, that sophistication, we were uh, constantly evolving. Yeah. So it's probably the really pain of Brexit, well. that Brexit experience mm. and becoming better at the sort of disciplines and managing the business in a, in a tighter market and tighter market conditions probably made you a much stronger business I think post-COVID. Or I think you did. Yeah, and I, I think, um, you know, there was a growing sophistication for the entire team. You know, we, we'd all, um, uh, you know, you learn as you go. And, and but I think you know that 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 focus from um, from Brexit definitely helped. Uh, you know, candidly, I think Phoenix did a good job uh, of pushing us hard. Um, uh, a lot of my team, as you know, got involved with pep talks. So yeah. we were uh, among the first cohort to do the excellence program, and it, that helped because they understood about value creation and uh, and all that kind of thing. So. You know, we, we all raised our game and, and we were very focused on uh, uh, a process towards the back end of 2021. That was absolutely where we were all going. Everybody knew that was what we were doing uh, and we were working hard on that. And, and we started the year in absolutely blistering form. You know, we were we were really flying. So, mm. it was, yeah, and uh, there's a tiny bit of me that wishes we'd kind of seen that through, but but it's only tiny. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so what happened? What, what was, Talk us through the sequence of events that led to the exit. There'd always been a logic to um, consolidation in the sector. Uh, and, you know, we were aware that we were the right size and shape and geographical spread to be of interest to a, a few of the players and, and, and certainly Park Holidays among them. Uh, good business, well operated, very experienced. Um, and um, they approached whether, you know, actually, actually it was uh, PE to PE was the initial approach. Uh, um, but, uh, you know, Jeff, who's the, the chief executive at Park Holidays, and I spoke, and you know it it, it made sense. So um, there was some negotiation around you know exactly what the price would be, um, and uh, uh, but it was fairly punchy process to be honest. I mean, that, I think it was I think it was the twelfth of January that um, uh, that the uh, the initial contact came in. I think there had been a little bit of chatter. I think early earlier in the year, perhaps just at the end of December between uh, uh, the, the two private equity houses. Um, uh, but it from 12th of January, you know, we, we were we were done and signed by the beginning of April, uh, which is pretty quick, yeah. uh, you know, for a 30 million turnover business, nine sites and central office, there's, there was a lot to look at uh, yeah. and an awful lot of due diligence. And we, happily, we had at least started building our, our data room, but, you know, it's one of our preparations for a process later in the year, but we were we were by no means finished. We were about 30% through. So yeah. there was an incredible amount of work to do to get the DD through. I didn't want anybody in the business to know about it other than the uh, me and my two uh, main co-directors. Um, so even our exec team didn't know until we were uh, probably a, a month away from completion. Um, it was it was quite quite tough. But uh, and how? Yeah. I mean, you, you, so it's, you were sold to private equity back trade, really. It was a private equity yeah. back trade deal, which basically meant most, well, that senior management team Certainly, the exec team was swat, uh, were either swallowed up or out the door. Yeah, your case out the door. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> um, certainly, sort of the top three or four of you were out the door fairly quickly. Um, and that's tell us a bit about that, the psychology of that, because this is your this is your baby, right? This is something that you've built from scratch, and you're saying goodbye to it. And actually, it's being consumed. It's it's going to be part of a much bigger business. It it, it was. Um... It was an interesting range of sort of emotional challenges, really. I, I, I felt that in part that I was letting people down. We'd always been a very human business and, and I was very well that people worked for me. Um, and, you know, because I was very visible in terms of all of that customer service training and talking to the teams and getting them energized and, and motivated, um, I, you know, I, that, that they it mattered to them. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think, you know, we've done a good job of saying, you know, we're not just a holiday park and this is bridge and it's different and this is what we believe in and these are the things we're doing. Uh, so I think it was, I, I felt bad about that. Um, but I'm, you know, I commented earlier that whenever we sold, we bought parks, the owners were always, oh yeah, I want to be, you know, I've spent years doing this and mm. we talked about it. And then when it came to it, they just wanted the check. And uh, I can't claim to be any different really. <laughs> so it was, you know, it was a business I'd created. Um, I was really proud of what we've done. I was super proud of the people that, uh, you know, had been on the journey with us and had evolved with the business. You know, some people changed beyond recognition in a really wonderful way. And uh, 
I, I was and am incredibly proud of that. Um, I was mindful that we had nine parks that had been in private equity ownership for at least uh, two or three years, some of them for a decade. You know, that, those assets, it, you know, growing those at 10% plus a year uh, takes some doing. Um, we needed, you know, some chunky acquisitions. We knew we we had lined up a suitor to buy us, and I, I think they would have done it. And we, I was, I was hoping to do another off-market thing. I'm not sure whether Phoenix would have gone for that, but you know, we we knew we would get away and get away well. We would have had to do it all again. So, mm-hmm. the really interesting thing for me was there was asset. There always is in these transactions. There were there were there were a couple of days when I thought I don't think it's going to happen. You know, we'd get stuck on something in the SPA, or mm-hmm. there'd be an issue would pop up in due diligence, or something that made you think actually I think this is this isn't going to work. And I, I felt pretty desolate that it wasn't going to work. <laughs> yeah, so that's a good test. You, you've got to listen to yourself. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, so I'm you know I, I remain proud. Um, but it's the right thing, you know, that we had done what we could uh, with, with those assets. And I think, you know, that the opportunity to release the synergies of our central cost, which was largely what was in it for them, uh, made total sense. Uh, yeah. So just tell us about, so you're, you're just embarked on a new venture. Yeah. Um, so tell us about that quickly. But as you tell us about it, it would be interesting to sort of conclude with, I guess, sort of what you really learned from the sort of that, that 10, 12 years of bridge and the two private equity deals that you're going to take into this one that sort of equip you better to do it second time round, I suppose, in a, in a different business. Yeah, so with a, with, a, with a breathtaking sort of rush of creativity, I've embarked upon a holiday park business. <laughs> a reinvention. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so, it, but, but it is actually a bit different. So uh, small, it's only four parks, but it's, a, it's an existing group of parks in Scotland. So I've, I've helped... Um, Limiston Capital, who are you know mid-market PE fund, um, with their acquisition of Largo, and uh, they asked me to, having helped them with the transaction and we got it over the line, they asked if I would consider being uh, an executive chair. So there's an existing MD in the business, and uh, you know obviously he's used to the business, but needs to be schooled and coached in the art of uh, keeping private equity happy. Um, so uh, so that's what I'm doing, and it's really exciting. And I must admit, you know, having had. Best part of a year, you know, uh, not working, uh, which I I, I, I enjoyed. Um, you know, I, I did like it. I bought myself a nice little place by the sea, and you know, I've done some nice things. But uh, I'm I've done it long enough to know that I'm a bit of a nuisance to myself and others if I've got too much time on my hands. So, um, so I, I'm really excited to be working again. It's a really great opportunity. You know, we'll we'll take a lot of what we learned from Bridge. You know, it's a buy and build opportunity. There's plenty of organic growth, and uh, uh, yeah, it's it's, uh, it's exciting. feels feels good. And uh, you know, I'm having to learn new things myself. So, chairing is different to chief executing, and uh, you know, I, I'm I'm comfortable being a chief exec. I liked it, and uh, uh, so I need to be careful not to fall back into that too readily. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, an, an exec chair, I don't know. There are those who say, "What's the difference?" And uh, um, I'm certainly learning that there's, uh, well, as you told me, Sam, you're quite right. <laughs> <laughs> there is no such thing as a part-time exec chair, no. so uh, yeah, it's I'm not an easy job. Definitely not. It's it's keeping me busy, but uh, yeah, I'm I'm enjoying. It. And in terms of the things, I don't know. There's there's a few. So I mean, the the, the two bits of advice I've had um, that have really stuck with me throughout my time with private equity through Bridge and that I carry with me now are. Uh, private equity doesn't like surprises. That's a that's a really good thing to remember. Even if they're good surprises, they don't like surprises. Mm-hmm. So I, I I keep that close to me. And the other one, which I think is helpful, is is it's important to recognise that private equity are the current funders of your business, and I think that's actually really key. And it it helps with the relationship. Uh, I think it's very easy to sort of fall into a bit of master and servant with them, and and that possibly suits some of the houses. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, you know that is the truth. They are current funders, uh, and um, you know it's good to keep that in mind. And in terms of the things that I've sort of learnt um, along the way, I think you know some of the things I've talked about already about really understanding what your your business is. Uh, and yeah, for me, that clarity about you know the emotional motivation of our customers, the fact that it's the the frontline staff are actually doing the do. Um, mm. You know, all of that was really really important. Um, I think it's critically important, and and I you know it took I probably didn't sort this out with KPC, but I certainly did with Phoenix. Was to understand what success looks like for them, yeah. uh, so understand how it works for them. You know their fee structures, where the carry is. You know what 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 what's the point where actually look, what's a good exit look like for them? What's okay? Yeah. And, 
they might not willingly share that with you if you uh, ask it ask them and... but they kind of do yeah, yeah. For, for, it's quite hard to dodge a blunt question yeah. uh, and and you know i certainly i think i think that that's really really good um i think pick your battles is a good bit of advice if you're getting involved with pe i wasted a great deal of energy and emotion uh seeking to keep my my co-founder finance director in the business when uh you know with the benefit of hindsight that was a battle i was never ever going to win mm. um and you know as much as he's someone i would work with again in a heartbeat he, he was absolutely great the, the business had changed mm. uh, and to to the credit of phoenix you know they were right we, we did need somebody different they were absolutely right and i was wrong and uh if i had um had the wit and the wisdom to to pick my battle it would have been better all around um yeah so i think yeah i think that's, a that's good important one. for the sort of um the health of the relationship, isn't it? Um, it's easy to become emotional about some of the things that you've developed as a business, especially in a startup. But it's, it's quite easy to react on the basis of you're asking me to tear something down that you know we've spent yeah. a lot of time building or we're get, getting rid of somebody in the team that we've always always worked together and worked together effectively. But It's hard to take the emotion out. I yeah. mean, you know, he and I were there at the beginning. Um, you know, there were three of us at the beginning yeah. and... Um, uh, I, I found it really challenging to, um, you know, be the one who had to let him go. Um, and because there, there was nothing really wrong with what he was doing, it just wasn't what they wanted. Uh, and, and, you know, particularly when you get to the FDCFO role, that's their area of expertise. You know, that, that's where they really feel they've got some super, yeah. not, and they're right, you know, they, they've got, you know, an analytical minds and experience way beyond, you know, most of us. So I, 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 I would discourage anyone from putting up too much of a fight, you know, even though it might emotionally feel like the right thing to do, it's probably right for everybody uh, yeah. to, to, to let it happen in some circumstances. So, you know, picking your battles is really important, but I do think it's important to stand up, you know, and there were things we argued about and won and we were right. But, uh, but yeah, I definitely wasted a bit of time on that one. Um, and I think the other thing I, I've learned is to, it comes back to understanding your business, but it's, it, it's kind of having one eye on exit. Uh, and I think, you know, with this new venture, you know, it was it was one of the things we discussed at our first board last week, um, mm. you know, and it, it's what are the things that are going to make our business more attractive than someone else in this sector? And identifying those six, eight, ten things, whatever it is, uh, and, and then working on those throughout and, and building your story and, you know, whether it's your, you know, the, the level of repeat business you get or the runway for growth you've got or the quality of the data that you have or whatever those things are, let's understand the things that uh, an incoming private equity house or potentially trade acquirer is going to look at and think, oh, that's good, that that's better than I've seen elsewhere. And then yeah. you really, really work hard on those and build the story because ultimately, these businesses move and change hands on stories and you know the, the credibility of your storytelling and the evidence you, you can you know bring to bear to support it is immensely important but you know it's it's knowing the right bits well that's been brilliant it's been great to see you again you too sam and yeah. um it's good to hear the story we've we've been part of the story a little bit pep talks along the way but um yeah. it's great to hear it in its totality and um exciting to see what, what you're going to do next with this new venture thanks and you're right pep talks has been part of it and quite an important part of it actually i mean certainly uh, uh, something unquestionably i've benefited from you know the the support of people doing a similar job in a non-competing business uh, is amazing it's fantastic being a chief executive of a pe business can be a lonely old thing but it's uh, so that that's been great you know as i mentioned earlier our team was one of the first to go through your excellent program excellence program and yeah. they all benefited you know very substantially from that and so did the business uh and you know it's uh pep talks network that's you know, led to my next opportunity so in a few, few years ago you've got a fee for that so <laughs> <laughs> no no don't need one anymore <laughs> definitely not in that business but that's brilliant i didn't even know that until today that's great yeah. that's the power of the community and the network too right well great to see you thank you very much you too thanks a lot